Greetings, ladies and mentalgents, and welcome to the latest chapter of Oz Magica, taken from the subreddit HFY. All the relevant links are down below, and please like, comment, and subscribe like any good minion of the algorithm would do. And as always, I hope that you enjoy. I just want to give a quick thanks to the Tier 5 channel members and patrons. Bob the Dragon, Data Magnet, Sergeant Puma, Cat Crab Lobster, and Duck Machine. Thank you very much for the support. It is much appreciated. Chapter 36 You know, I'm getting tired of doing this. Tired of doing what? Well, I did for one. Look, I'm all for talking to myself here, but uh, you have to say something. I don't even know why you're here. I woke up here and you've just been standing there. Well, not exactly standing, but I don't really have the words to describe what you're doing. Well, guess that didn't work. Then again, I don't know if you can even hear me. I mean, you have the vague shape of a person to you, but you're just, uh, buzzy, you know? It's like, uh, for some reason, I can tell that you're an actual person floating there in front of me. Is that strange? I mean, uh, I objectively know that you being here isn't exactly normal, so there must be a reason that you're here. It's also kind of weird that I know what should and shouldn't be here. I mean, I just woke up here with the implicit knowledge about a lot of things I think I probably shouldn't have. Especially, since the last thing I remember is... Uh, the voice continues on. Well, uh, we've been found out. And I can't exactly wait... What? What? You're talking. Like, actually talking. Finally. I, I thought I'd just be alone here forever. Now you'd better... The voices cut off as the glowing figure's arms rapidly strike through something. It would be best if you stopped talking. They can hear us. At that, the voice muffles a fair bit before the surrounding space falls into silence. Okay, so it seems like we no longer are able to have some modicum of secrecy. However, since nothing seems to be happening, I would assume it's just passing glare. At some point, something seems to push aside the glowing arm from the specific place in the air. Is that why you haven't been talking? Yes, secrecy is important when you bungled everything up this hard. What the hell is bungle? Never mind that. I need to listen. Is there supposed to be a sound or something? No. Thankfully, whoever they were, they've stopped actively looking for us. Is that important that we hide? Okay, since I've spoken now, and things don't seem to be getting worse... As I feared that they might. I might as well explain some things. First things first, I'm not supposed to be here, and a lot of people noticed me leaving. Second of all, you are not who you think you are. You are the culmination of skills of a person you represent. Finally, I am this way because I'm inside of this place. At this, she gestures around here. Which is... Inside a head. Oh... I guess that makes sense considering the one thing that happened, that's that blue liquid. Other than that, I guess I can answer any question you might have. Any question? Within reason. At that point, the first voice hems and haws before finally coming with a question to ask. How do I get a body like yours here? Well, it is technically your head, so technically just think that you have a body. The second voice falls silent as wind whoops through the space. Swirled by the wind, seemingly out of nowhere, white particles coalesce into a human form. 
becoming more familiar as it flexes its fingers, curls its arm, and bounces on its legs. Dear Lord, that's good. All I've had is a voice. Speaking of which, how did you stop me from talking if I didn't have a mouth? I disrupted your thoughts. That's it? Yes. I thought there'd be more to it than that. To be fair, you don't have much experience in the way of the mine. Point, I suppose. Well, you really don't like talking, do you? It is merely a way to exchange information with you. Beyond that, I see no point. Really? Yes. And the silence descends upon the duo, one fidgeting slightly, while the other remains perfectly still. Who are you? My designation is J209. Well, that's, uh, that's not a name, unless you're a robot or something. Judging from the image of mental golems evoked by the concept, no, I am not. What? Well, golems are more simple than what I am, but it is something that could equate for vaguely. No, not that, but wait, wait. actually, you're like a robot. I was not made of metal, so no. Artificial intelligence? Sorry, that particular phase evoked a lot of images that I had to pass through. Judging from some of the similarities between them, I would say yes. Putting that aside, although that it does explain the way you talk, why exactly are you here? I did not perform as adequately as I thought I might when performing my job, and I have to exist with them. Would you like a name? If it helps. Jay, since your designation has one, why not call you Jenny then? At this, the newly proclaimed Jenny image seems to uh, stutter, but before becoming a bit clearer. I do not. No. You don't like it. It is not that I do not like it, but the fact that the images it brings up aren't exactly fit for what I am. If it helps you understand, sometimes a name isn't an image, but a designation. I know that. It still hurts uh, me. At this, the form seems to shiver slightly. So you do have emotions. Simple ones, yes. So uh, why are we hiding anyway? I already told you. That was my way of asking for more information. This is part of the stuff I'm holding within reason. Oh, I figured since you've been helpful with my other questions, you'd just plum forget about that. No, I'm just particularly model my answers to fit that I'm allowed vision. Well, is there a way to get out of here? Yes, but your main body has to discover it, or something happens outside to draw us. Is there a reason that we can't do it ourselves? If we were, we'd be discovered much sooner. And they couldn't just hear us, they could be here. And that's bad because some of them are quite mad at your body, and I wouldn't put it past them to harm it. At this, the now recognizable form of David winces. Well, um, is there a way that we can warn him? His questioning voice seems to resonate within the blue form of Jenny, but her face didn't register the question. I think he already knows. By the way, prepare yourself. At this, Inner Dave squinted around him while bringing up his fists. What are you even talking about? I don't see anyone here. He was right about that, of course. Endless darkness seemed to surround them both before fading into a white haze. Endless quiet surrounded the pair. If a pudding could exist within this space, one could hear it drop against the non-existent floor. The only thing that didn't seem to not be a part of the space was the two already there. I can feel the attention strengthening, and I feel it probe into me. 
They can only do that if they're here. I seem to dart everywhere as the tension within her begins to wind up. Is there anything we can do? With that question, either coincidentally or triggered by a thought, something begins to happen. The sound of her heavy drum beating slowly. It almost sounds like a heartbeat that throbs throughout the space. While motes of brown light seem to seep in from somewhere coalescing together. No. End of chapter. Chapter 37. Ugh, dear God, why does my back hurt? Did I sleep in the wrong or something? Wait, what even happened last night? Did I go to bed? No, no, that didn't happen. Just, okay, um, uh, go through everything you've just done since yesterday. You've got a kind of hangover, and it's definitely not helping. But you need to remember because things are bad when you get drunk. You arrived in town, got into an inn, spent some of the money you earned on food and beer. It was definitely crap beer, though. Decidedly, you stay behind because a coin determines my fate, especially since I have a luck stat, although I still don't know what it does. After that, um, what was it? Why can't I, um, wait, Kojo! Yeah, he came downstairs and said that he had a vision from his god or something. We were supposed to meet somewhere at a church, and Marwall had already fallen dead asleep. Kojo didn't want to go alone, as he figured it was a call to battle, but I figured there wasn't going to be any. It's a church, after all, and the city's being attacked by monsters. I think people would be fair but more scared if they had broken through the wall or something via screaming in the streets. But I humored my bud and went with him. It was, um, we were traveling through the streets following the directions only Kojo seemed to know. We came upon the city square with a fountain, a really weird statue of a rock monster and, uh, that guy. The building didn't seem much like a church, and that guy didn't seem much like a priest. If it was anyone else, I would have said it was a weird, brutalist thing that some architect back home had dreamed about. And the guy seemed just like a bum. Makojo said that he was one of those we were supposed to meet. He also punched us, but I think it was just a surprise. Kojo isn't exactly normal. Probably. Speaking of which, I need to find out if they have pets or not. If monsters are a big deal around here, I imagine keeping some animals around is a bad idea. After that, the guy, uh, Lizardman guy, no, um, Cobalt, yeah. I got nothing on him, don't think we asked his name or even gave it. Seemed pretty old too, judging from the wheeze in his voice and his hunched back. He was in a panic and asked us a bunch of questions about classes and stats and, uh, then, uh, I think I got punched in the stomach. And, uh, I wasn't hearing Crap, uh, don't tell me I'm dead. Ugh. Okay, just slowly open your eyes, and if things are going wrong, don't freak out. With a bit of fear, I opened my eyes to find myself in a wooden room with a couple of things in it. I was lying on a bed, and it was a little bit bloody, but I didn't see any hole or anything over my chest, and most of it seemed to scab over or be covered in a light blue light like with what happened to my foot. I looked up from my chest and onto the rest of the room. Sheets had been tossed to the floor. Multiple things had been thrown onto some sort of cabinet or dresser, but two things caught my immediate attention. There sitting at the table was Kojo, fast asleep in a chair. He was back to being small, although he wasn't really puppy-sized anymore. I had not expected that. I had thought that what I tried would alter him forever, 
but it seemed like either my interaction or his control let him go back to being tiny after the battle. Judging from the backlog I'm seeing, he used my skills and leveled them up a fair bit for me. Nothing really impressive, though. Most of the stuff I sent over was already maxed out, although Kundalani is really close to reaching level 20. Some of the others have passed that mark and the others are close, but uh, I still have options for upgrading some of them. I should probably do that after I get better. Don't know what happened with that fight. The other thing that I noticed was that the Cobalt had slouched over in his chair. He seemed to be, uh, tinkering. He's got a screwdriver. Huh. Wait. He's awake. I can... Uh, I let out a wince as I get up, and it disrupts my thoughts. Okay. Still injured. Noted. And he seemed to have noticed my grunt while Kojo is still asleep. You're up. With that simple statement, he sets down whatever he was working on along with his tools and gets up. I noticed that behind him was a pack that he was wearing, and it had uh, magic coming off of it. Somehow, I mean, uh, I can see magic, but I didn't think I could uh, radiate like that. At most, it just seemed like things were colored differently, not waves of it. I hear a few snaps, and it gets my attention. A little slow with the response time, but otherwise you see mine. He remarks as he inspects my chest. Thanks for caring. No thanks are needed. In fact, I am more in debt to you two than I willingly give debts to almost anyone. It's only right that I save your life in turn. Ah, I think I'm beginning to like this guy, but uh, something's off about him. I can't seem to put a... Wait... He doesn't have magic. I mean, most people have some tint of it. I look closely with my skill, but it almost seems like, uh, he's absorbing it. Huh. Wait. Would that interfere with my healing magic stuff? Crap. At that, I slowly inch away from him, not letting his clawed hand touch my stomach. His face almost seems to light up again from whatever funk he was in, and he retracts his claw. Sorry, I've never seen anybody able to cast while unconscious. Most people are unable to do anything once they go catatonic. He was just curious. Don't treat him like a rabid animal, Dave. It'll be fine. Just, just ask. Is there a reason that you seem to absorb magic? His eyes seem to narrow before turning back to gleeful wrinkles. Well, his back straightens a bit. That is a simple condition that I've had for a while thanks to a man that you helped stop. Now that he's gone, I've gotten most of what I came here to do. Wait, was he, uh... You wanted to kill him, yes. He has caused a lot of suffering to many here and in the surrounding areas. I look into his eyes. It's not like I have a read people skill or anything, but I think he's hiding something. I get that. His cannibalism, though, doesn't seem they were what you're angry about. If what I heard from the town is true... It's much like an open secret. This seems to run a fair bit deeper than that, judging from your glare. He sits on the side of the bed and remains silent for a while before sighing. I won't lie, he's done a lot worse than cannibalism. Most of the titles that he held, which were, um, inglorious, he'd gotten rid of long ago. Cannibalism is the only thing that keeps coming back faster than he can pay for it. So he just doesn't... I kind of knew that you could already pay to get rid of things, but it applies to titles. Wait, what else did he even do? 
Judging from your expression, you are curious about him. Startle, I give a nod in reply. All right, then. I'll give you the tale that I can tell from my experience. Some have known him longer, though, so if you're still curious after that, I can pray that you aren't. Go find them. When I first met Faldor, he was a new lord in the area. A low-ranking one, to be sure. He only had a town to his name, after all. He started out in the deserts to the southwest. He was in charge of providing the higher-tiered lord the local tithes of food. Being in the desert, it was a bit of a challenge for him, so he decided to set up a tower. That tower, he tried doing anything that he could to gather anyone that could work for him to help solve the food issue. He boasted free materials for people to work on, access to monsters that they could use to level up if they had a warrior class, anything to be able to grow food better in the desert. That was when I showed up. At the time, I was a fair bit younger and had just gotten access to my main class I wanted to use most of my life for. So, hearing the offer, I traveled and went to work there. I wasn't much in the way of being a researcher back then. I mostly just made machines to better automate processes. It was after making one such machine that I came to the direct attention of Valdor. At first, it was enjoyable. He recognized the talent I had, and the amount of work that I put into being such a high level in the class. Then he started inviting me into some gatherings he put on the near the top. Then he started inviting me to some gatherings that he put on near the top. Symbolism, I suppose. But there I was introduced to a fairly small circle of people. You see, amongst the ones he invited, he found a rather remarkable amount of improvisationists. One of those. At this, the cabalt stopped his storytelling and looked over to me. You've never heard of the glass. At this, I shake my head before he sighs. They mainly involve themselves with three stigmas that differ from the class where they originally were in. The Tinkerer. Where the others use those skills on machines, they turned it around and focused their skill to use it on bodies. Satisfied? Yes. Very informative, thank you. Any other interruptions? No? Good. Anyways, they made a move past the point where they could use their car skills on themselves. They were more creatures than people now, and I, in my youth, had fallen for their promises. Who wouldn't have wanted to make themselves better under the care of master craftsmen? Who literally crafted men? After a while, I noticed something, though. The information about the lower levels of the tower had almost become uh, silent. When I asked Baldor about it, he remarked that it was meant to better compartmentalize information. What good would a druid have for information on the craft floor after all? I found his logic sound and continued my work. One of the older machines that I had built on the lower floors broke. No one else could fix it but me, and I was sent down to do so. Down there, I saw what he'd been hiding and what he'd been doing. Anything he deemed worthy of keeping or influencing, he kept at the top of the tower, but anything else he deemed worthless and kept below the regular entrance. There, where my machine broke, I saw cells. 
The improvisationists who I adored had been given their own floor. They had captured many children and, uh, there, on their isolated floors, they, uh, did things to those children. To this day, I still don't know what made them become like that. Some had shrunken in on themselves, while others bloated, filled with pus or water. Others they kept in cages originally meant for animals. They fed children to the beasts that they caught, and also performed experiments on. On that floor, I discovered the most shocking secret of all. It was when I approached the tiny limp, who, I discovered, was a limp no more. They had found a way to make a beast become a monster. It had been messed with to such a degree that it could only be feed on love and no longer required the normal sustenance it needed before. Love was, perhaps, the easiest supply that they had, of course, given that they held children who had been sold or taken away from their families. So any affection shown to them was returned tenfold. I wasn't certain of much of that until later, but I confronted Faldor with what I had discovered. He didn't excuse their actions and simply repeated what he always had said. They had been given everything that they had wanted, everything so that they could give their all in growing food in the godforsaken desert. With that, I knew that I could no longer follow him, but I stayed a couple more weeks. I had to acquire evidence before I left, of course. I had to make sure that the people know about this, important people. During my last few weeks, I played the loyal follower, and in return he indulged me even more of these proclivities. He had been given enough towns and the main city of this territory before being promoted to a high rank of high lord. In the bowels of the city, I saw more travesties. I saw him training monsters underground and disposing of criminals in a way that he had determined to solve the food issue. He ate them and had everyone under him eat them too. It was only after seeing him brutally devour my kindred that I left, vowing to take him down. By then, the tower had been all but decommissioned. It was only ever a place for people who performed atrocities against bite and beasts alike. Before I left, however, he activated his hidden card. Earlier, when I had fervently joined the ranks of being an improvisationist, I had altered my body quite a bit. One of the things I had created with their help was an overlay on my mind, something to promote magical growth. It was a practical thing, since I was using mana for a lot of tools that I created. Somehow, he had gotten his hands on all the information I kept hidden and used it against me. He interverted the ability, reversed its purpose. He made me draw mana to perpetuate the devices that I had created. It was his last blow against me, and was equivalent to declaring that he could have had my life at any point, and could still have it. I trained for years after that to work around the handicap that he had imposed, and returned to fight him and bring his tower down. And, uh, thanks to you, I finally laid to rest all the regrets I had coming to this territory. That's, uh... Oh, God. This place is more like medieval times than I thought. Except if corrupt nobles had superpowers. Crap. Okay. Well, uh, from what it sounds like, he got rid of the tower 
So no monsters roaming around here or creepy cult guy. Uh, wait. What about the people below the city? You said that they were some of the most horrible people you've seen. At this, his eyes almost seemed to sparkle. Ah, well, they've been taken care of, mostly. Before I came into the city proper, I had one of my creations dig down below and hook up the sewage system to the underground. They should have all died by now due to gases getting into contact with fire, or them not being able to breathe. If some are more hardy than others and survive that, they'll know that it's not good to stick around after that. I'm just worried about the monster tamer. Putting aside the fact that someone can somehow tame those things, why do you think he survived? At this, he showed a slightly stupid little. I was not able to keep track of most people in the city since I was away. But if the monster tamer is still here, then I'd expect him to either be at the place in the woods where he keeps them, or down here having fun with... Well, it's best not to say. It's all a matter on how much he cares about his job now. What should we do if he survived? Do you think he'll want revenge or something? I panicked a little, thinking about the guy controlling ten Grendels roaming around the city, and roaring like they were in a kaiju movie. No, eh, it shouldn't really matter. He only really stuck around to get paid and leash off the monsters that came free of the Skaldara. Other than that, he was only interested in the differences between natural monsters and made ones. Since he won't be getting paid anymore, and this made monsters aren't being produced anymore, I think he would leave. What about the Kadara? I was there a while back and had had some pretty vicious monsters in it. At this, the Cabalt almost seemed startled before he pushes it down the scales on his head. No, he won't go there. It's a domain after... Wait, you were in that? Yes. Yes, had to fight one off to get out of the place. Some bastard teleported me there or something. His eyebrows seemed to crest a bit. Well, I guess that explains some things about you. Like what? Your uh, nature, I suppose. If you stay in that domain long, you're bound to get an affinity or two. And judging from the rapid heating, you got pretty lucky with what you got. I nodded a bit at his words before looking down at my feet. I didn't think I would survive that. My voice seemed almost still in the air. Silence permeates between us. You did, though, which is naturally good news. You'll also have to tell me what kind of spell you cast before. It was kind of dense. Uh, sure. I don't see why not. I'm Dave, by the way. Gredens! He held out a hand towards me, which I grasped and shook. Glad the cultural differences aren't that far apart here. Even without being in another world. Then I noticed the heat gradually increasing. I looked to see, with the other hand, Credence had covered me back up with the sheets thrown on the floor. Could you open a window? I'm a bit hot under this. He nods before shuffling over and sliding it open, letting the cool air in. It's a nice smell, seems to tickle my nose before subsiding. I breathe in deeply before settling back down into the restful position, letting myself get healed slowly and surely by my magic doing its work. My eyes closed as dust seemed to pile onto the sheets. I let out a sigh as I start practicing my Kalundani meditation. Might as well get the last few percentage points that I need. I breathe in and out, letting myself relax in a rhythm. Sounds almost seem to drown out of Mike's consciousness fades from me. But something stopped me. 
What's, uh, going on? Why can't I, uh, something's, ugh. I can't, can't breathe. Oh, God, what's in my lungs? It's piercing everything. I opened my eyes to find that everything had been covered in dust, and no sound could be heard. I looked around frantically, finding credence had fallen to the floor, having the same trouble as me. He seemed to be wheezing, but nothing was happening. Then I recalled something from a long time ago, a story told to me by Marwar. Sand that ran like water devouring flesh, then bone. I think I understand why he was so afraid. All this pain is aggravating my wound and seeming to open new ones on my person. The pain is... The pain is too... Uh, Galandani meditation has reached level 20. End of chapter. Chapter 38 The situation was perhaps the single most confusing thing that he had seen in his entire life. Frequently, whenever he tortured others with this technique, it didn't really go all too well for the individual being tortured. And he really got useful information because the people almost always turned into dust or ash whenever he did it. It was understandable, though. It was entirely within his expectations and was actually the exact reason that he was doing it to this person. He had never become quite so, um, compressed before. He had thought that it might be possible to become immortal with his enhanced infinity and the way his body implemented it. But up until now, that was pure theory and not actual experience. Although he had, of course, tested out this technique before, he was simply dust on the wind. Back then, although it never worked perfectly at all the time, most often than not, he was able to use a similar technique to take control of others and have them act as he directed. This technique was different. Out of everything that he had learned, this was simply a way to torture, to slowly scrape the skin, scale, and muscle from the bones before working his essence into the bones themselves and tearing them apart from the inside. Divorce the body into such pain that the target either caved in and told him, or he drew their very essence as he tore them to bits to conceal them. It was an utterly ingenious process, but uh, there was a significant problem in performing it as he was now. Since he no longer had a body, he could no longer eat others the way he had before. He could not simply grind them down into dust and hope that he could incorporate the dust into himself afterwards either as he didn't know whether his goddess would accept that as a form of consumption. It usually paid to be mindful of your god's particular teachings, and he wasn't entirely sure that he'd ever heard of her being okay with what he was doing. So he needed an actual body. He needed something that had a throat and a stomach to digest and consume body into faith. To get a body, he was faced with the decision. There were three beings inside the room, to abide while the others seemed to be that plant that he had fought and lost. Now he was all for getting revenge on the plant, but given their last encounter, he deemed it unlikely that he would beat it in a pure battle of wills. He couldn't see it having bones either, so he probably wouldn't be able to inhabit it in the same way that he could abide. That left the other two to consider. The cobalt which started it all, and the thing lying on the bed. The choice to him was simple. What he had done to Credence was something he couldn't really undo. Because of that, if any of him got near him, then he would most likely be absorbed into the cobalt's body, rather than him absorbing the lizard. 
There was also the issue that he needed to consume the cobalt specifically for the requirements of his wish to be achieved. So, it was a simple choice, and he focused on the bite who was lying upon the bed. He realized that this bite had also been there at the battle, but it had not done much besides cast a magic spell before he punched a hole through its chest. He wasn't sure what it had done to the plant, but he was also pretty sure that whatever the spell was, it was that which had allowed the plant to grow as it did, so most likely it would be dealing with a druid that had some advanced healing abilities, either through a species of tributes or through some weird affinity that he had not heard of before. Either way, it would have no defense against his actions and would be almost too easy to influence it. With that thought, he activated his own spell, Dust Eels, making sure to carefully avoid the areas in the room that the plant uncobbled. The bite which was the target was sleeping, which he counted as another piece of good fortune, since he was pretty sure that if it woke up, everything would fall apart around him. So, with the practice ease, he silenced and caused the brother two to pass out. However, he immediately encountered difficulty which he should have expected. Any attempt he made towards scraping off the skin and flesh to get to the bones of the bite seemed pointless. He had figured that the thing had some healing ability, as the previously noted hole in his chest seemed to be filled in and heavily scabbed over. But the speed at which the bite was healing seemed excessive by his calculations. Additionally, the slight blue glow of magic around its wound was strange. This was something that he had never encountered before. Based on everything he knew, when the magicians were asleep, they couldn't use magic. It was a simple known fact. However, evidence before him said otherwise. It seemed that this species of bite was able to work around that uh, fact. That led to an uncertainty and, as he was unused to uncertainty, led to stress. So with time rushing down because credence was slowly losing scales to his needles and would eventually regain consciousness, he realized something was happening. He hastily decided upon a course of action. If he couldn't get into the bone directly by peeling skin and flesh away, perhaps he could have much more luck if he could perform the action on the inside. If you remember correctly, most bite had bits of bone close to their lungs. If he was able to tear through quickly, he would find that bone infected before the bite healed, and finally take over the mind to replace his body. Once he had a new body, he would eat credins, and anything the cabalt had done would no longer matter. He pushed himself through the mouth and nose of the pale, gaunt form, and spread himself through its entirety. He found a place that hadn't quite healed from his punch, an inner wall lining the stomach. Through the remaining hole, he could see the blue glow battling against the acid, threatening to tear away more, and the glow steadily winning the battle to cover his ribs. With haste, lest he lose his chance at the bones, he pressed himself against the ribs, and reaching for the core of the being through the bones. He noted that his control had gotten better than the last time he tried doing this. In fact, because his body was now made up of particles, it made sense that he would be better at doing this as he no longer had to transform and tear through the flesh to get here. He could pour himself directly into the bones and surround himself in them. Although his control was better and this was much simpler, most of his power was being spent simply pushing himself through the paths within the body towards the mind. And there he appeared. He was wary, of course. Most mages would break up their mind spheres 
as it allowed them to use mana in various ways, including affecting this inner world, like a sort of security system. So, he had expected that although this being might have been harder than normal soul, that the mana that it was making would be trying its hardest to heal the body, rather than being focused here. He certainly hadn't expected two other beings within the inner realm seemingly guarding it. So there is two of you here, which is vying for control at the moment. Baldur's words seemed to confuse the two that were already there, but the first to speak was a simile of the bite that he was trying to take over. This suggested to him that the simulacrum was probably a fledgling god that was trying to watch over its creation. Control! I think that you've got the wrong idea about what we're doing here. Ah, perhaps he had thought wrong. Maybe the Scot was simply trying out a form that he might have liked, and wanted to see if it would be better by it to join the ranks of his follower. But Falder still couldn't quite guess as to why the purple woman was here, or why she seemed to share some ancestry with the creature. Perhaps it was one god rather than two beings. One god who simply wanted to try two forms. Either way, it did not matter to him. Ah! So you won't mind if I take control. Excellent. With that, he pushed his grey-yellow form through the void that spanned the realm towards the blue glowing orb in the center. However, as he was getting closer, he noticed that the other two were loudly arguing about something. And as they got louder, the atmosphere around him seemed to vibrate until something formed in front of him. Ah, so it's you! I had figured it might have been judging from the dust. Didn't think your affinity was able to do that, though. There in front of him was the exact same thing that he thought to control. Not something that took the form like the blue vision from before, but something that literally looked exactly like it. From the brown, unkempt hair down to the slightly tattered clothes and the tan feet. What? How are you? That doesn't matter all too much. Uh, before, I couldn't exactly get into here at all that well. I could merely push my gaze around, but now, uh, <laughs> it seems I can be here. So, uh, whatever your plan was, whatever you were trying to do, is now going to become vastly harder. With that somewhat ominous statement, the creature blinked, reappearing in front of him and punching through his form. It hurt, of course. Anything that could affect him in the dust form disrupted his magical influence and naturally resulted in a backlash. But the expected backlash plane also disappeared almost immediately as it started. Looking down, Valdor found the reason. The fist had gone through his dusty form, simply destroyed the magical connection binding his dust in that location. Where before he could simply swirl more of his essence into the spot, now any time he tried to do so was met with pain. And a wash of magic simply disappearing. No, not disappearing. Getting absorbed but the other being... With a cry, he forced himself back off the impaling fist and leapt around the creature towards the sphere. He couldn't allow this battle to drag on, nor could he spend too much of his energy fighting to get his goal. He was on borrowed time, and he knew it. He could not become more unless he took control. Once he did, of course, it would all be over. So he reached out and touched the fear. Its glowing tethers were focused through infinities and were pushed into symbols held upon the air. As expected, what would normally have been a defense was too preoccupied to deal with him. With a final push forward, he touched the sphere. However, as he did so, his arm was chopped in half. 
Valdor watched, dumbfounded, as the cut-off portion floated away and slowly turned blue from its original grey glow, and was absorbed directly into the sphere. He screamed both in frustration and pain as he kicked out wildly towards the assailant, only for his leg to phase into it as well. For the first time in uncounted years, a look of desperation crossed Valdor's face. He lost his balance and fell forward, flat on his face against the black sky. His body could not fight against this. His magic could not fight against this. He had expected it to be combating a magical nature, not physical entities. He coughed a bit, sensing the magic draining from himself and the storm in the outside world slowly beginning to run out. So, Aldo uh, choked out, this is how it ends. Uh, not with me doing my best, nor with a loving family. Just slowly losing myself. He coughed a bit as the magic sustaining him began to run dry. I guess the desert won't become an oasis. <laughs> it was really silly to begin with, wasn't it? Wishing for someone to have solved my problem so long ago. I, uh, before I go, I, I want to know who you are. What you are. I need something to hold myself for when I return, yeah? At this, the spectre leaned down next to him. I don't really know if you rightly deserve that, but uh, I guess I can't really leave you with nothing. The name's Dave. I'm a human. I'm not familiar with that species on Bide. You a newcomer? At this, the human's face scrunched a bit before it nodded. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I could have possibly won against you. Maybe when you first came, but not now. Not when you're experienced. Falco sighed. At this point in the conversation, only Faldo's chest and head remained. His dusty form dissipated, both blowing away and compressing, to reveal the Ebb's main body. He looked into Dave's eyes before chuckling as his face peeled away, layer by layer, until only an eye and a voice were left. Before long, not even that remained of Faldo, the dreamer. End of chapter. Chapter number 39. Well, how was an experience? Didn't think I would... Uh, wait. I looked away from the spot where the guy used to be. It was uh, disconcerting, to say the least. Just watching something slowly lose all of its parts like that. Ugh. I mean, uh, it didn't show much in the way of innards, but the way it went away, it was like it was being scanned out of existence. I leaned down to inspect the side of my mind. It... Doesn't seem like anything's changed. I mean, uh, I think my MP rose somewhat, so I was able to absorb it somehow. Wait. Absorb it? I... Can I... I mean, um... Mana manipulation is simply manipulation. It didn't say I couldn't use it outside of my body for it. Then again, it's kind of hard to tell how things are going. I don't have to have access to the screen while I'm here. Probably some aspect of how it interacts with my brain or something. Wait... My brain. Is it here? I mean, uh, I have the time now to figure out stuff. Whatever I did with the Kundalini kind of made all senses outside of here almost seem to stop. I walked towards my mind, looking at its roiling blue energy. It almost looks like a storm, or perhaps maybe Jupiter would be more apt. A bunch of swirling gases of slightly different shades interacting. Well, it's not really shades, but levels of brightness. Now, uh, let's see if that thing is actively here or not. 
I reach out and touch myself. Wait, don't word it like that. I reach out and grasp my thoughts. There we go. Correct and non-invasive, huh? Yep. I wouldn't do that if I were you. Instantly, I rear my head to look behind me and... Ah, that's a... Uh, wow. Didn't expect there to be a woman in here. Is it another intruder? No. Valdor had his own body when he came in, so judging from everybody's opinion I've met, there shouldn't be any other humans here, so, uh... Is this my conscious? No. I am not your consciousness. Far from it, in fact. Wait. How does she... It helps to literally be connected to your mind. Also, your face is just as easy for me to read. Ah, makes sense, I suppose. Then again, why are you in my head anyway? Did I make you? Wait, not you the dual personality I got from that skill? No, that's him. At this, she raised an arm to point towards the darkness. I waited a couple seconds, but nothing seemed to happen. He must not want to come out right now. I would imagine meeting a clone of yourself would be, as he would put it, weird. Her words filled the silence as I realized something, something that I had to put into words. Is he, um, like an actual copy of me, or is he a duplicate? Her eyes seemed to scrunch together in a particularly human way, before she responded. Judging from the concepts you call to mind in those words, it would be fair to say that he is not a clone, but more of a link. He does have memories of after he appeared here. Ah, good to know then. If he was a clone, I would have felt bad keeping him from experiencing anything besides this place. Now I know he's constantly being updated with what's happening with to me outside. I guess that only leaves one question. I look at it pointedly. Currently, this one is acting towards your continued existence within the system. As your other half, but it, I am a help function. It is nice to meet you. Oh, that's why sometimes the help function acted weird. I reached for her hand and shook it, which for some reason just appeared in my grasp before disappearing suddenly. So would that mean that my stat sheet is down to here or something? No. The help function is something that is connected to the system at all times to better help you connect towards your surroundings. Given your newcomer status, it is meant to tell you your place in the world and how to survive based on the questions you ask. Nothing else was deemed necessary to contain a function. When it would have been simpler just to display the information of the system collects about you. Ah, guess that makes sense. Wait, no it doesn't. How the hell do quests work then? Quests are a measure of your own progress throughout the world. As you set goals for yourself and fulfill those goals, the system looks through previous interactions and gives out suitable rewards for you. If there is none present around you. Ah, so I give myself quests. I guess that explains how I got here. I wanted to get out of that cave so bad that the system recognized my intent and told me then what I'd get if I accomplished my goal. That's the long and short of it, yes. Hmm, interesting. So I guess I could give myself other quests too to better help myself along the path that I want to take. Wait, if that's the case, why haven't I gotten a quest for heading to the church? At my thought, she tilts her head slightly, while her gaze seems to bore straight through me. You have... Uh, what? You've gotten a quest for heading towards the church. Is there a reason I didn't see that? Yes. 
Are you going to tell me what it is? The help function can only help in terms of the system. Any action that is taken effect outside of it, it cannot say. What the hell is that supposed to mean? The help function can only help in terms of the system. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Jeez. So, um, she's not going to be help. Wait. Why was it a bad idea to touch my mind? What you were attempting to do. Many have found themselves dead by their own hubris. And what do you think I intended to do? You wanted to shape it directly. Feel the manner within your head and discover its source. You wanted to delve deep. There is a reason that people don't try what you did. That reason is... I thought I made it clear. You would die. Ah! Being cryptic. Well, I wouldn't worry about it too much. Eventually, I'll be able to do it. If I'm right, meditation might be the key tree to doing it. Then I can finally get rid of the thing influencing my mind. Ugh. No offense. Why would I take offense? I'm just a help function. Ah, right. That. Okay, so I should probably leave. Don't really know what's going on outside now that my physical senses got put down here. You can just go if you want. No one can stop you. It's your body after all. All right then. See you, I suppose. I gathered myself up to undo the meditative state that I'd entered into before. As my senses inside myself slowly drifted away, the last thing I saw was a blue glow appear within the darkness. Glad to see that my other self got a bit brave. I woke up. No. I arose and immediately noticed several things. The first thing that flooded my attention was that I had a lot of updates from the system. At the top of the list was an update on the Kundalini meditation. His name got changed to Baha'i. What the hell is Baha'i? Anyway, I guess its added function was what happened earlier when I got a physical form while being down there. I mean, I'm grateful for it, but I would have thought it would have been at least fair but better. The other thing that happened, well, I guess my suspicions are correct. For discovering the next aspect of mana manipulation without reaching the required levels for it, you receive plus two wisdom, plus two int, and the required levels to use the ability properly. Mana Siphon, level five. Subset Mana Manipulation Compression. Cost 20 AP, 100 MP. Mana, which like anything else is simply a resource. The one thing all resources have in common is that everybody wants it in some capacity. While some people have more access to certain resources than others, it pays to be able to actively control that resource. That is why the skill is so desirable to mages. If they find themselves lacking in mana, they can draw it from their surroundings by force. However, be warned, there is a danger in taking more than you can handle. Notes. Subset of mana manipulation compression will not take experience, only upgrades when doing the right actions required for it. Looks like as soon as I did whatever I did, manipulation and compression hit 20 and 10 respectively. This popped up. It might have also had something to do with me actively going at it while I was inside myself. Well, that's kind of cool, I suppose. As cool as it was, though, there were other things that I noticed which needed my immediate attention. Where before the miniature sandstorm had erupted within our room, now all the sand had piled onto the floor. Stiller than stone. My mouth also kind of tasted like sand, so I assumed that I spit up whatever got into me. And Kojo, 
was still asleep. Can't blame him, I suppose. Valdor literally made it so that we couldn't let out a sound, and he didn't make his sand do anything to Kojo. In fact, there's literally a ring around him where there's nothing, Ah, oh crap, Credence hasn't gotten up. He's not breathing. End of chapter. Chapter 40 The presence of all the encompassing light is almost always a way to tell whether or not you're dying. This isn't a biological function, but rather a panopticon-mandated one. It's a way for an individual to best comprehend the idea that they are, in fact, dead. It saves a lot of time explaining that fact, so that the dead can be dealt with more easily. This, of course, is a double-edged sword. Well, it does help the dead come to terms with their condition, and makes them easier for the system to deal with. It also means that they have time to enact a variety of other actions in their attempt to deal with the system. Actions like begging, cursing, blessing, or even attacking the Avatar of Death, which is sent to greet them at the end of the road. So when Credence saw the light coming into his eyes, and the words spelled out in front of him, he knew that he was dead. It was rather unfortunate, being that he was still under contract, so he might be expected to uphold it in his next life, much like how most others when they were the specific age. However, he knew that he had a chance to not uphold the contract. All he had to do was convince the person that he was meeting to help him with that. One might wonder how exactly Credence knew what would happen. All who'd come back from the brink of death have their memories wiped after all. The only knowledge that they're left with when they revived is the fact that they were there for a time dead. Those who manage to keep knowledge of their past life into one next one rarely talk about what occurs. However, in this case, the explanation was simple. He'd been told explicitly what would happen to him when he died. All who enter the realm of death will meet an avatar. It is simply the information you receive from the voice of the gods. It is an absolute truth that imprints itself upon those who enter. The simple-minded question of why is it an avatar and not a goddess of death herself? The answer to that is relatively simple. She is the goddess of death and decay. Her very nature makes it so that any that happen to be in her presence, including some choice gods, are affected by her power the exact same way. They are stripped of anything that they achieved in life, stripped down to the bare strengths of their souls. Anything that they were born with stays, but all else is lost to her and gives her faith. This is why she often does not come to her own dominion. As while she often does not care about others, she still enjoys some of the creations made from them. That is why she utilizes a race designated to be on her avatars instead of dealing with the dead personally. She would rather that the dead retain some concept of who they had been and what they had done. For those who die, the meeting takes place within the soul of the dead. Then they are surrounded with a myriad of different objects and things depending on the length of life they've lived. The longer they lived and the more memories they're able to hold, the more stable and thoughtful the constructs within the soul can be. For many that die young, they cannot even hold themselves together as a distinct entity, and are represented by something more like a clout of intent. Credence, however, was old enough to maintain himself, as well as envision the most impactful memory that he had and interact with. So when the light faded away, he had found himself in the one place he held dear. It was his old workshop. 
Credence could hardly believe that he was here. The last time he was in this place was when he had accidentally blown it up. He could still remember the days when he had purchased the building from his mother. She was the landowner for the town that he grew up in, and while she loved him dearly, she still held above all else the personality of a merchant. He mostly learned how to be an iconist from his father, who often visited sometimes to offer perspective and advice whenever he saw fit to give it. His fingers grazed against the tool rack, idly touching some of the oldest instruments. He looked down from the wooden ceiling across the cabinets lining the walls towards the most open stone floor to find three things that did not belong in that space. Usually, this was the area where he activated any construct he made and hoped for the best that his information did him well enough. It was meant to be clear of any hazardous objects. It had been ingrained into him that it was the most safe to keep that space clear. Therefore, he was startled to see things in that space. There were two foldable chairs set in the middle of the space. The third object, however, was not necessarily there in the same way the rest of the room was, though. The third object was the avatar. Of course, calling an avatar an object is not quite accurate. They did move, talk, and act like normal people, but they were not bide. Credence, seeing one, realized that they were more like golems. Every action that they performed was only ever done for the greater purpose determined at their creation. So you're here, then? The avatar nodded, its gaze almost piercing into his soul, which he supposed would happen soon enough. Are you capable of talking? At this, the avatar radiated an aura of agreement. Oh, non-verbal, that's neat. So, um, what are you doing here? The flies buzzed under the cloak as it shifted away from Crescent's and towards their surroundings. Its gaze almost made everything in a slight vibrate. Ah, judging. I see. Is it okay if I sit? A quick nod came from the hood as it gestured towards the chair with what appeared to be an insectoid arms, almost akin to a devout prayer. Credence walked over towards the chair and sat. He didn't know exactly what to do next but the chair almost did it for him by giving him whispers of questions. I think I'm dying or I'm dead due to asphyxiation. It's hard to tell when the sand is everywhere and it's cutting into you, making your senses numb with pain. I think it was Valdar's doing, if that helps. The hood nodded once before the screen appeared next to it, scrolling through various runic symbols across it. The avatar kept flipping through the page after page, until finally a set of ruins caught its eye. It nodded to itself and reached out and touched it. As soon as it did, the screen changed to show Credence's face with more symbols beside it arranged in almost circular pattern. It looked away from the screen towards Credence, putting the idea of a question through the air. Ah, that might be a promise I made with a god, Onda. I was hoping to talk about that actually. When I get put back into the cycle, could you remove that? Fushuk's legs seemed to tap against the stone floor, having vibrations reverberate through the area. I understand you can do that. Is there someone who can? The avatar looked upwards and seemed to cause the air to shimmer, before a visage appeared, almost wavy. There floated the god of death and decay, the mistress of the marsh, the sister of life, Gaia. Her visage alone seemed to cause her air surrounding it to ashen. Her mandibles grasped a scrap of cloth, 
while she seemed to be lying upon the bed, reading a book between her thousands of arms. Ah, I understand. I mean, if I'm just going to forget my life here and now, later on, I don't see why I couldn't give some of myself to her. It nodded, pulling the appreciation away. It began writing into the screen before something started to happen. That surprised both the Avatar and Credence. An almost ocean blue glow began to permeate their surroundings. The thing in front of him buzzed with an agitation before letting out a sigh that was akin to a groaning ship. I can go. Why? It seemed to shrug its shoulders before mumbling to itself. I get a title for this. Oh my gear, that's amazing. It became more and more agitated as time passed before it seemed to snap and let out a shriek. The chairs disappeared from underneath both of them, dumping credence onto the floor, while it stayed in a sitting position upon the air. You didn't have to do that, I mean, I understand you're probably upset. It doesn't mean you have to take it out on me. It didn't say anything, nor changed in any perceivable way, before it faded out of existence. All was silent, and the light that had been illuminating the space withdrew, fading into itself leaving a darkened rune, then darkened vision, before finally leaving Credence in an all-encompassing darkness. And there, where Credence stared, appeared the blue apparition of Dave. Do I have you to thank for not choking to death? Its eyes seemed to open and glow before settling down to stare at Credence. Oh, dang! Didn't think that would work. I mean, uh, Regenerate wasn't working well at all, so I had to take care of this personally. Credence looked confused. What? Sorry, I have a habit of thinking to myself, and apparently in this space, it's just my thoughts, so the tangents I go on must become verbal, unless I empty my mind. Credence nodded his head. Makes sense, this all isn't exactly a place that you can enter without effort. The apparition seemed to look around, almost confused. This is a soul? Yes, despite how dark it is, there are things in here inherent to me. Huh. I just thought since my spell nor CPR was working, I'd just try and help piece your mind back together. Didn't think I could actually touch the soul. Credence wondered how exactly this human kept stumbling upon things most people kept so close to their chests. I appreciate it. Now, um, if you don't mind... Credence gestured away from himself towards the darkness. Ah, yes, probably very personal stuff here. Well, I guess I'll see you when you wake up. At this... The light blue glow disappeared into the air, before everything once again returned to black. Credence looked around himself. Although the darkness was slowly growing stronger, he could still sense his workshop around him. He tried to paint his mind the image that he was seeing in his senses slowly faded, giving way to the consuming darkness, hoping beyond hope he'd be able to remember this place as perfectly as his soul did. It had been a while since he'd seen it or even remembered this place, after all, and even with all his failings, he realized that he still missed some of the comforts of home. So, once again, he looked around to remember as much as he could before every detail was washed away into darkness. Then he closed his eyes and waited. End of chapter And that, my friends, concludes this dose of science fiction fun, I hope that you enjoyed, and if you did, please don't forget to support the author from the link down below. But if you want to support this channel, there are links as well down below. 
for you to help with, but the easiest way would be to share this video. And if you are so inclined, subscribe as well. I will see you all in the next episode, and I hope that you all have a fantastic time until then. Cheers.